On this Reformation Day, one of the traditional texts is found in Psalm 46, and I'll be reading that to you now. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Today we are continuing a message series started two weeks ago uh, called The Four Sides of Forgiveness. And it just really means that we're going to be taking a look at forgiveness from four different angles because I would say kind of in my years of observation as well as in my own personal experience, uh, we don't always have a very good handle on what forgiveness is all about. In fact, I'd say that we often struggle with about every aspect of this, so our, this series is designed to help us take a, a little bit closer look at what the Bible says about forgiveness from God's point of view, our point of view, uh, other people's point of view, and on and on, so we can live more effectively in our daily lives. And so today, we're going to take a look at the side of forgiveness that involves you forgiving others. That's sometimes called unforgiveness. You ever had any of that in your life, that unwillingness to forgive? Well, unforgiveness is really not much more than resentment. And resentment is a nightmare to live with. Uh, Nelson Mandela has a very famous quote. He said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Now, if you've ever struggled with resentment or if you've ever struggled with unforgiveness, you know how true that is. Now, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with unforgiveness from time to time in my life. I, in fact, every once in a while, there will be something that comes up from my past, a person or an incident, something that really, really ticked me off. And I'm still not quite ready to let it go. And I still let something from my past get in the way with a person that I might know from the past. Now, that not only takes its toll on our one-on-one relationships, but it also takes its toll on us personally, and worst of all, it takes a toll on our relationship with God. It's, again, kind of like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets a little tummy ache. Now, one thing that has not changed in our history is our ability to offend another person. I mean, is anybody here that's never offended anybody? If you raise your hand, I'm going to tell you you offended me by doing that. So you'd at least have one. See, it's not just nations against nations. It's not just neighbors against neighbors. 
but it's friends and it's family members. Sometimes we just really struggle to get along with each other, and we often find ourselves at odds with each other. Now, when Paul was writing approximately almost half of the New Testament, he had a lot to say about the way we manage our relationships. And this is one of the things that we need to do. In Colossians 3.13, he said, Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, this is the model that you and I are supposed to live by. So today I want to talk about what it really means to forgive other people and how you can learn to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you with a forgiveness that lasts long and runs deep. See, that's how God forgives. God forgives us once and for all and forever. You may remember that phrase from a couple of weeks ago. God forgives us once and for all and forever. And that's what we need to learn to do with each other. But in order for us to do this, we need to understand that forgiveness is not a feeling. Resentment and unforgiveness are feelings. But forgiveness is really more of an attitude. It's a conscious choice that we make that leads us in the direction of forgiveness and action. So how are we going to do that? Well, I'm only going to suggest three different ways this morning that will help us in our relationships. And the first thing we need to remember when you're faced with the need to forgive anyone is this. Put yourself where they are and put them where you are. Now, you look at that and you go, what? Put yourself where they are and put them where you are. Now, what on earth does that mean? But what I mean by that is that when you forgive someone, you're not forgiving someone who's beneath you or less than you or worse than you. You're forgiving them because you share the same human condition as they do. And what condition is that? You're both sinners. That's where you start. See, God is the only one who condescends to forgive. He is the one who always reaches down to forgive. He is a holy God. There's none like him. He's offended no one, but we have offended him time and time again. So in his perfection, what does God do? God reaches down to forgive us. But he is the only one who can reach down to do that. For the rest of us, we don't forgive down. We forgive across. We forgive vertically. I'm saying that you don't go and forgive somebody else approaching them as if you are Mr. or Mrs. High and Mighty and above it all. You forgive the other person as one sinful wretch to another. Now, sometimes we struggle when we do struggle with forgiveness. We justify it by saying, well, I would never do what that person has done. And we kind of delude ourselves into thinking that our sins are less sinful and less hurtful and less destructive. But see, forgiveness in action requires us just not an awareness of other people's sins, but also an awareness of our own. See, you may not have done exactly what that person did, but neither are your hands completely clean. I mean, you've done some things that need to be forgiven, not just from God, but guess what? I have a feeling you have some things that need to be forgiven by other people as well. Now, I'm sure that there are probably a few people out there might be saying, well, but what about that? But what that other person did to me is so much worse than anything else I've ever done. 
I'm not that bad of a person. So come on. Are you saying that my impatience and my intolerance is on the same level as Hitler's atrocities? Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if sin is sin is sin. But I I guess I could cut you a little bit of slack and say, well, Hitler deserves his own category. And I'd even toss in Idi Amin and... uh, Osama bin Laden and a few other people like that. But what I'm talking about is how we forgive those people within our circle, those with whom we have personal contact and personal conflict. Now, understand that forgiveness really isn't about who committed the worst sin or who the worst person is, because we've all sinned, the Bible says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, none of us have the credentials to reach down from heaven to forgive other people. We can only forgive vertically. We forgive one sinner to another. And when it comes to forgiveness, if your position is, at least I'd never do that, then you're still not getting it. Uh, You haven't yet come to grips with the ugliness of your own sin. I mean, neither do you fully understand how much God's forgiven you. See, when you understand the full measure of God's grace in your own life, it's a whole lot easier to extend forgiveness to other people. Jesus told a Bible story I know many of you are familiar with. It was about the servant who owed his master an enormous amount of money. And in in today's exchange rate, it would have numbered into the millions of dollars. Uh, And when the master tried to collect that several million dollar debt, um, the servant, of course, could not pay. So the master said, sell uh, everything this man owns, sell his wife, sell his children, put him into slavery, and throw him into the debtor's prison until he's capable of paying. Which, of course, would never have been, because that amount of money would have been way more than any servant could afford to pay. But you may remember, he got on his knees and he begged, and he said, please be patient with me, and I will pay back everything and so the master took pity on him and canceled the debt completely wiped it off the books and let him go but as he was walking out probably feeling like man got past this one he runs into a buddy another servant who owed him a couple of dollars and the servant said grabbed him by the throat and was choking him and demanded that money Uh, But when that other man begged for mercy, the servant had none to give him. Instead, he had that man thrown into prison. But when the master got wind of what had just happened, he became furious. And this is where the story picks up in Matthew 18. Then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, as I read through this story again as I was preparing this message, I I, I thought, you know, this servant probably could have come up with a long list of reasons to justify what he did. I mean, why his debt to the master wasn't really as offensive as that other servant's was to him. I mean, I could almost picture him say, well, look, the master is rich. He can afford to write off a bad debt like mine. I'm poor. I need even 
the money, even if it's only a couple of bucks. I mean, how am I going to ever get back on my feet if I don't get back what's owed to me? And what message would I be sending if I let other people take advantage of me? And when you think about it, why did the master, why did he loan me so much money when he knew that I probably couldn't pay it back in the first place? I mean, it was more than I could possibly rate. He knew it. Doesn't he bear some responsibility in my financial crisis? And, and on and on and on. You see, friend, it's easy. It's very easy. And it's often too tempting for us to justify our bad behavior and minimize it. And blame other people for it. While at the same time, we hold everybody else around us to a much higher standard. Now, you might be able to fool yourself into thinking that that's okay. But you will never, ever fool God into thinking that it's okay. So when you're in this situation, when you need to forgive someone, remember that you're forgiving across one sinner to another sinner. And not down because you are not God. Here's the second thing to remember. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to abandon all boundaries. Now, two weeks ago, I talked about how God forgives. He throws our sins behind his back. Remember, I asked you how far could God throw something? Uh, He tosses them into the depths of the sea. They sink to the bottom. He says he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's absolutely true. Now, it's also true that when God forgives, his spirit continues to work in us so that our sin is not just forgiven, but that it it, it becomes ultimately eradicated. In other words, he forgives us as many times as necessary, or seven times 70, uh, which is forgiveness without limit. But he also works in us the spirit so that we kind of clean up our act. That's the sanctification part of our life that follows justification. In other words, I got to think it's like this. You could probably say that God loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. And there's a sense in which we need to have that same kind of attitude towards other people. Not in a condescending way, but in a way that says, friend, this is a serious issue between us. And I'm not here to condemn you or judge you or withhold mercy because, man, I need it too. But I love you too much to not make the situation between you and me right. Now, I've seen in far too many situations, however, where well-meaning and sincere people, Christians, in the name of forgiveness, become enablers to other people's destructive behavior. Or they become a doormat and they allow other people uh, to walk all over them or to mistreat them again and again and again. And I've actually had people sit in my office and say, "But, but pastor, that's what I have to do because that's what grace and mercy and forgiveness is all about. And I remember looking at a few of them and going, really, where did you find that in Scripture? But I'm going to tell you, friends, that's not the case. Grace and mercy and forgiveness are not about abandoning boundaries and giving everyone around us free reign to destroy everything in our lives that matters. You can forgive somebody completely and still maintain proper boundaries. Doing so is not only good for you, it's good for them. Let me give you a little illustration. I read this story not long ago in the newspaper. Uh, it's a Christian organization, a fairly well-known Christian organization, that discovered that its chief financial officer had embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, of course, when they confronted him with it, he was very sorry. Maybe he was sorry he got caught, but at least he was remorseful, like all people are who get caught. 
The organization had every justifiable reason to fire him and to prosecute him to the full extent of the law. And as I was reading the story, I, I fully expected to read down that he's been char- had charges filed against him. He's going to be serving time in, in this prison or whatever. But as I got further into the story, nothing like that happened. They didn't send him to jail. In fact, they didn't even terminate his employment, at which I kind of went, wow, I'd like to work for that company. But what did they do instead? Well, they demoted him from chief financial officer, and they moved him to a whole different area in that company where he had nothing to do with finances. And they set up a plan of restitution so that the donor's money that he had stolen would be returned and put to proper use. And then they made him accountable to a team of spiritual leaders in that organization who closely and weekly monitored his progress. Now, I have to tell you, that's an amazing story because that part of it, for part of it, just that doesn't sound right. They should have sent that guy to jail. But it is an amazing story because instead of this man's life being destroyed, his life was restored. Now his name, of course, is not on a checking account. He doesn't have a company credit card, but he is a valuable employee. And most of all, he's no longer a broken man. They forgave him. They put some boundaries in place so that it would not and could not happen again. It's much like Paul said in Galatians. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. There's the key word, restore him gently. See, when it comes to forgiving other people, we need to remember that our goal is not to forgive them and pretend that it never happened and give them carte blanche to to come back and hurt us again and again or more and more. The goal in forgiveness is to bring about restoration. It's to bring about healing, not only to restore your relationship with that person, but to restore, more importantly, that person's relationship with God. See, when you forgive, if at all possible, put some boundaries in place, not just to protect yourself, but to protect that other person from themselves. Now, I'm saying that that when it's on you, when it's on you to forgive somebody else, forgive them. Don't seek revenge. Don't try to hurt them back. Just forgive them. And then in love, put up whatever boundaries you need to protect both of you. And that leads us to number three. Once and for all, let go of the power that bringing it up gives you. I'll tell you another counseling story from the past. I remember being with a couple a number of years ago who was in crisis. The crisis was because she had been unfaithful and he found out about it. And instead of seeking a divorce, because I asked, you guys think of a divorce? He said, oh, no, no, no divorce. Because I'm willing to forgive her. I want to stay together and I want to make this marriage work. I mean, that's a commendable attitude, especially when you think about how devastated this guy was uh, when he found out he'd been betrayed. But here's the problem. He said he wanted to forgive her. He wanted to make the marriage work. But then what happened is he reminded her almost every day of what she had done. He reminded her of her pain of betrayal, the humiliation that he felt, particularly since ever the people knew 
and how she had violated his trust and probably would never regain it. And he often told her that he didn't think he could forgive her again if she ever did it again, as if she ever planned to. So every time that couple had a disagreement, whether it was who balanced the budget or who held hold the remote when they watched television, every disagreement came down to him, reminding her of her unfaithfulness. And as she sat in my office, she said, I, I wish that he had never forgiven me because I can't stand to have this thrown in my face every day. Now, I don't want to be too hard on this guy because it, I'm sure it was a painful experience. I know it's a painful experience for him. And I know that he was sincere and desiring to make this marriage work. But he also, he also learned that bringing up the past gave him a tremendous amount of leverage in that relationship so that they were not able to do what it was that he desired to do. They were never able to experience healing because he insisted on keeping the past front and center. Now, today, I would say to a couple in that same situation, if your marriage has been wrecked by whatever... If your marriage is struggling in any other way, you need to put some accountability measures in place and make sure it doesn't happen again and never, ever, never, ever, ever bring it up again. Now, if you've ever needed to forgive someone, you know how difficult that step can be. It's not easy letting go of the power that bringing it up gives you. But it's necessary if you want to see forgiveness in action. I mean, has Jesus ever brought up any of your past sins? No. Now, Satan will. He'll remind you of your past. That's when you remind him of his future, by the way. Paul said this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's very similar to that very first verse that we looked at today Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, that's quite a standard for us to live up to. But here's the one thing that will help you do this more effectively. Stop talking about it. Stop talking to the offender about it. Stop talking to everybody else about it. Now, you've no doubt heard the phrase before, forgive and forget. It's probably humanly impossible to forget but here's what you can do. Forgive and shut up. I can't say it any clearer than that. Forgive and shut up and move on. Let me go back to that chief financial officer who was caught embezzling funds. The board of directors had approved the steps that were going to be taken with this guy. The demotion, the payback, the accountability. But then the chief executive officer sent out a memo that said, quote, the matter has been dealt with. Don't talk about it anymore to him or to each other. Let's focus instead of restoring a brother and moving our ministry forward. So you want to see forgiveness in action? Then decide today once and for all to stop talking about it. Now, there are going to be times when you're going to be needing to forgive someone, and you may struggle with it again and again. One day on, one day off, you may ask yourself, man, have I really forgiven this person? And, and if I have, why am I still struggling with the feelings I have? Well, friend, it's at that point you need to remember that forgiveness 
really isn't a feeling. Unforgiveness is a feeling. Forgiveness is first an attitude. It's a choice that you make to forgive. And that choice is what leads us toward forgiveness in action. So what is forgiveness in action? Well, we sum it up this way. First of all, it just means that that before you even begin the process of forgiveness, you renew your you're going to review your own resume first. And remember that that person who needs to be forgiven is on the same level as you. You remember that you do not forgive down. You forgive across. And when there's somebody that you need to forgive, if possible, establish some boundaries and accountability. So that it doesn't happen again and again and again. And this way you can not only forgive that person, but you're also in the process of helping gently restore them back into the kingdom. And third of all, let it go. Build a bridge and get over it already. Suck it up, buttercup, and move on. I mean, those are a couple of my favorite quotations. You might not be able to do it emotionally because that takes a long time. Some people have hurt you. By God, it takes a long time to get over it. But you can let it go. You can stop talking about it. You can't control your emotions, but believe it or not, you can control your mouth. And if you stop talking about it, your emotions will gradually fall back into place and perhaps even more quickly. Now, this message can be done in a couple of minutes. And I want you to know that I have barely scratched the surface on what the Bible says about forgiveness and how we are to extend it to other people. But I I, I believe that forgiveness is one of the non-negotiable fundamentals of the Christian faith. We just need to learn how to forgive one another. I don't care whether that's one person or whether there's a whole bunch of people in the church or whatever. We just need to forgive, stop talking, and move on. See, in the prayer that Jesus shared with his own disciples, what did he say in Matthew 6.12? Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Or a very literal translation is, Lord, forgive us in the same way that we forgive other people. That's a pretty dangerous prayer when you think about it. See, if you refuse to forgive, it'll eat you up forever. Like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. But when you let it go, even if it means letting... (laughs) It go at first that you say nothing about it. You suddenly experience liberty. Corey Ten Boom, maybe some of you know her. Uh, she was held in a prisoner of, war, er, prisoner of war camp during World War II. Said, forgiving someone is like setting a prisoner free and then finding out that the prisoner was you. Friends, it's really worth it to forgive other people. It may not be easy to do, but here's something that will help you. I want you to think of someone right now, if there is someone. I want you to think of someone you know that needs to be forgiven. That especially needs your forgiveness. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a church member, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's your boss. I mean, just if you can think of one person and then ask yourself three questions. Does this person need to be forgiven? Answer, yes, and so do I. Have I been forgiven? Yes, I have. So this person can be forgiven too? 
yes by me. May God grant us the ability to do so, even as he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.